Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I was standing on a Colin Bridge telling people about Jesus and they had to invite Jesus into their life to save them because I really believed if they didn't, they'd go to hell. And it was my duty to warn them. And I got beaten up and my lips split open and, you know, some skinhead with the barber boots didn't really appreciate being preached to. I don't know why. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was me trying to hang on to something. I was falling apart. And then I realised shit, this is all something I'm making up. God, there is no God. It's me making this up to try and make myself feel better. And then I had nothing. Tony Bates is one of Ireland's leading psychologists. He's worked with thousands of patients throughout his many decades in practice, most notably as head of the Department of Psychology at St. James's Hospital, a position he held for over 30 years. He also created Jigsaw, the National Centre for Youth Mental Health. And if you're a fan of Brezzi's podcast, Where Is My Mind? You're probably very familiar with Tony from his regular appearances on that terrific podcast. But having spent his career seeking to understand the lives of others, Tony has now turned his therapeutic eye on himself and describes the events and people in his own life that have made him the insightful thinker and teacher he is today. His new book is called Breaking the Heart Open, The Shaping of a Psychologist. And in it, he recalls the traumatic events in his own childhood that brought him to a very low point in his 30s, the years he spent building himself back up and what he has learned from the many people in his care over the years. Tony shares that story with me. But this whole area of trauma, recovery, therapy and learning about ourselves and who we are is, of course, one that fascinates me, as anybody who knows me um, would understand. So we talked a lot about all these things, too. To be able to reflect and think about what I'm feeling is an amazing skill. And in the same time as I can do that, I can also pick up what you're feeling. Now, that idea to connect with myself, to connect with you... It's called mentalization, or what Abba called knowing me, knowing you. Um, (laughs) So the guy goes out, Tony Clare, and he's with him for about an hour. And I met him the next day. And I said, how'd how'd it go? He said, he was terrible. He was terrible. He said, I had to do all the talking. (laughs) He did nothing. (laughs) I just... I thought it was the most wonderful compliment for Tony Clare. You know, he, he listened, he was present. And I realised, lo and behold, my fascinating insight, my epiphany in that moment of despair was that I needed people. I needed people. And that was OK. And because I find this area so interesting and because Tony is such a great talker and storyteller and listener, by the way, we stayed chatting for over an hour and a half in studio. I found him compelling. So we're going to bring you the episode in two parts. Part one is coming up in just a couple of minutes, right after comedy. What's the big story of the week? Well, let's ignore the obvious story of the week. It's a bit depressing to go there. The other story of the week is more lighthearted. The Toy Show. Let's see what our podcasting friend Eamon Dunphy is saying about The Toy Show. Hello, you're listening to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, tonight is a huge night for Ireland and for Patrick Keelty. It's the Toy Show. I'm joined uh, by the Diane of Ireland's entertainment correspondent, the great John Giles. Hi, John. Hi, Eamon. John, how do you think this will go tonight? I'm a bit worried, Damon. Why so, John? Why are you worried? Well, they have a new lad out front, Damon. That they're Kilty. Playing. Yeah, Kilty, Kilty. He's, he's never done it before, Damon. Never done it before. Yes. Now, he has shown ability, John. Yeah, though. no, he's good, John. He's good, Damon. But this is a different league. One and a half yes. million in the crowd tonight. And he's no experience, No, Damon. very little experience. Yeah, and there's a lot of kids, Damon, as well. Yes, uh, there are a lot of kids yeah. out front, John. And kids, Damon, they, 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 they like the discipline going, you know, 90 minutes, Damon. Like the discipline, you know. Who do you think could be the star of yeah. the show tonight, John? I think we'll see Barbie tonight, Eamon. Right, I Barbie, think, yeah. yeah. I think Kilty will try to use Barbie yeah. in the early stages. You like Barbie, John, do you? Love Barbie, Eamon, love Barbie. Barbie was there in my time as well, Eamon. So. I didn't know that. Did you play with Barbie, John? No, I never played with her, Eamon, but, but Billy Bremner, Nobby yeah. Styles, Ronnie Whelan, they all played with oh, Barbie. Great. Yeah, Ronnie loved Barbie. Ronnie loved Barbie, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. Well, good luck. 
thanks, John. Good luck to Ireland tonight. We'll yeah. Um, we'll look out for Barbie. See if she performs. Uh, John, what's your poison tonight? Bottle of Bacardi, Eamon. <laughs> lovely, John. Lovely, yeah. lovely. Good stuff, Book John. it straight into me veins, Eamon. John Giles. Yeah. An exclusive comedy on the Mario Rosenstock podcast every week, of course. Please, just tell one other person, if you can, about this podcast. And if you're walking down the road listening to me now, um, I hope you're smiling after that little sketch. And I hope you're going to really listen to this podcast. Um, it's mariorosenstock at gmail.com, by the way, if you ever want to get in touch with me. I read them all. Well, listen, things got off to a great start when I met Tony Bates in our studio in Marconi House in Dublin. That's also the building where Today FM, Newstalk, 98FM and Spin broadcast from. So as you could imagine, there's a great atmosphere and lots of buzz in the building. And Tony certainly loved the vibe. Tony Bates, thank you very much for joining me on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Thank you, Mario. Lovely to be here. Mm. Yes, and you liked the vibe in the building when you came in. I loved it. It's fresh. It's it's creative. The, I was welcomed by a beautiful receptionist. That always helps. And uh, I met uh, David, your engineer, and I knew that name. And I um, remembered listening to him once on Spin. So I, I, it's lovely to be here. It's very relaxed. It's it's it's, it's very just welcoming. Yeah, and yeah. I was surprised uh, if you don't mind me saying that you said, "Oh yeah, Dave Hammond there. I heard, I heard you on yeah. Spin there." Yeah, and I went, "My God, okay, so you 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 would listen to things like that? Well, you know, opening your mind up? Well, it, it is on my. It is one of my listed stations on the car radio, but I." I suppose I worked with young people in Jigsaw for years. I set up Jigsaw and it was, you know, Spin was, Spin had our audience, you know, we didn't. And, and, and I did work with Spin way back, you know, I did different things or talked to them, or, you know, and they were a totally new, uh, this, I mean, 2006 we set up, so the, the Spin were very mm. creative and new and uh, they had young people and, and they were great. So I got to know them a little bit um, way back, I can't remember who exactly, but I certainly was on the station, so I, I you know, so when I... I just affectionately tune in occasionally. I've never yeah. met you before. Yeah. And so I only met yeah, you for yeah, the yeah. first time about eight minutes ago outside. Okay. And what first struck me was your sunny smile, your disposition. Um, some yeah. people have that thing. So your face was relaxed and it was yeah. normal. Yeah. But then when I met you and I said hello, your, sm- your face lit up and it was not because yeah. of me, but because of your natural smile. And you have one of these smiles that your eyes crease and you look happy and you've got crow's feet under your eyes from all the yeah. smiling you've obviously been done ah, doing. Great, yeah. And so you've got a big smile. And um, does that reflect your inner being that that you, you you like to? Well, a part of it was I was delighted to meet you. I hadn't met you and I'd seen you and heard you many times and really admired your work. And so I was delighted and I'm delighted to meet you and be here. I was looking forward to it very much. I, I think, um, I think, honestly, I think I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. I mean, I just really enjoy being alive. I'm like a teenager in love. I, I mean, I just... What age are you? 71. What do you feel? Wow, you look amazing. What do, yeah. you, what do you feel like? Oh, gosh. <laughs> because some people, some people have, a, have, a, have an age that they, they relate to and they always go, if you said to me now, what age do you think you yeah, are, Mario, yeah. right? So I'm 53, right? Yeah. So I would probably go, I think I'm always 34. I was going to say 33. Were you? Yeah. Because that's a very famous age. I mean, Jesus died at that age. <laughs> Mozart died at that age. Yeah. A lot of great people. But I, 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 I feel like I'm, I, I always feel I'm just getting going. And I, and I would love to go back and, and get going with what I know now and with what I feel now and with the sense of myself that I feel now. I didn't, I never felt this comfortable in my own skin. Um, my mother-in-law called me a tortured soul and I was I wore my unconscious on the outside you know I was always insecurities and struggles and then my conscious self was something very hidden and elusive and I was always trying to get hold of it um, through music and literature and reading and philosophy and all kinds of stuff but I I just really enjoy being me <laughs> it's it now you know and I I I love where I'm living. I'm living uh, on a headland north of Sligo and it is just a beautiful place. And I've been there five years. Uh, we bought a, an old bungalow on an acre of land and uh, it was very dilapidated. But we we downsized, put the big house on the market and then we 
you know, we did different things with the, the, the we, I bought a house 30 years ago, you know, so we have all paid up. And so, so then we uh, moved and I've been doing it up and it, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it's, uh, I love there, I love the neighbours, I love the people. Uh, they're very extraordinarily respectful of boundaries and so on. But if you meet them and talk, you have these instantly honest conversations about important things. And sometimes it's just who's sick in the neighbourhood or whose cat died or whose dog is sick. But very often it's about, you know, Mario is struggling or down the road or something. You know, it's something important. And and we talk. Um, And some of the farmers I know and meet there are so philosophical about, you know. So if I want to know what's happening in nature on the headland. You know, what birds have moved in or moved out. Um, I meet Johnny and he tells me the whole spiel. He'll tell me, you know, whether the there's Icelandic curlews who come in and big bunches and there's, you know, the the, the Brent geese. and the, the, But he'll say, oh, Starla, the Brent geese are coming earlier this year. And, you know, you know, so I guess I have a sense of place and I feel I belong and I feel I belong in a community. And I feel I've discovered what real community is out there. I've never felt that. I've grown up in many places and lived in many parts of the world. Well, parts of, you know, American here. But honestly, uh, I think I found community, what that means. I'm trying to find a comparison um, between your experience and my experience. We come from different fields, but I'm trying to find a comparison. And I'm going to try and tentatively go at it and, and suggest that I have discovered that as I've grown older, one of the reasons, one of the mechanisms, the motors that drives me and gets me up in the morning and that keeps me curious is the fact that I love people. And Mm. it's a kind of a a little bit of a fatuous statement, but I've tried to test it over the years and I realise I think I do love people. It started off with a curiosity of human beings. Um, I remember getting um, a book when I was about eight called Man Watching by David Mo- or by, yes. by Desmond Morris. Yes, yes. And I was just fascinated and still am yeah. and by the human condition and by yeah. the way we are and the intelligence yeah. we have and the way we operate with each other. And since then, I've been looking at humans all my life and I'm obsessed with them and that's why I mimic them. And I am fascinated by their traits and the pitches in yeah. their voice and the way they use their, their the way they use their body language to express yes. themselves and yeah. the hierarchical nature of relationships and how we express yes. that and how we cover things up and um, and how we speak to each other. So I love people um, and I can sit I'm one of those people you've heard of these people that could sit in a cafe and just look at people go up by all day. Or I could sit in the bus and just imagine what the relationship between the two people sitting ahead of me in the bus is. Or bus are I could, I'd love to do. I love to do that. And I'm wondering, is that one of the things that drive you as well? Do you have a love of either the human condition, or do you have a, a love of people? I do, I do. I, I I completely resonate with that. I I'm very solitary actually, and I tend to prefer being on my own to being around people. But I love people and. I suppose I've, I discovered people in a very particular way. You know, I found I discovered people in a psychiatric hospital, you know, people. And as I say, you know, there was many of those people who were very confused about who they were and kind of a bit, you know, uh, troubled. And, and that was just the staff. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, I, I really found people because the what people don't appreciate is that when people break down in whatever form, and we can come back to that if you want, but when people break down, what happens is they their armour breaks open and you begin to see a very troubled, hurt, but very real human being. Mm. And you get to spend time with that person. Mm. And they open up about their deepest, you know, personal experiences. Mm. And that is fabulous. People undefended, unguarded, you know, open, uh, being with them, they're fascinating and and I love them and I I think that unless you do love people in that way, particularly the the vulnerable side of people, you don't want to be in this business. You should How interesting. So, Mm. I'm getting a picture here. So, I talk about just generally how I love people. What you're talking about in this instance is people who are in a particular state of, let's say, emotional and mental fragility. Yes. In which they are uh, opened up 
yes. if you were. Yes. And I wrote two words down here. You are then, you are then a witness to yes. the vivid genius yes. of humanity. Yes. It could be a normal person. It could be an average Joe Soap. But they yeah. are opening up the vivid beauty yeah. of the complexity of the human mind and the complexity yeah. of the human experience to you. And you know, so they're, they're showing no, you this gift. They are. Exactly. And there are no ordinary people. They're all extraordinary. No. Yes. The most unassuming person, when they reveal their story and their struggle, they are they are just extraordinary. I, I, I'm 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 blown away. I remember once meeting a he was a chaplain in a hospital and there was some do and he said to me, Where do you work? And I said, I've opened James's hospital in the sky trees. Oh God, he said, That must be so boring having to listen to people who are depressed all the time and yes. I'm thinking, No, no, I know what boring is <laughs> having to listen to you. Yeah. I didn't say that. But you know, he was so wrong. Um because but even him, if 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 he had being more real and more open, I'm sure I would have found a beauty in him. Uh, yeah, there's some beauty exactly. in everybody. Yeah, there is, is beauty in everybody. And, and there's mystery in everybody. Exactly. But what he was doing was he, yeah. was, he, was, ki- he was covering yeah. and killing the beauty within him he, by yeah. cynicism. And that's cynicism. what we are. That yeah. is the scourge of our humanity, the cynicism. Yes, the cynicism. And, when, and, they, and yeah. these people who you talk about who are, you know, suffering. Broken with, open. Uh, broken open. They, mm. There's no cynicism. Yeah. It's just honesty. Yeah. It's just real. It's just real pain or real yeah. joy. Yeah. Um, but there's no cynicism involved. No, they have no, no time for cynicism. No, there's no room no, for it. No, cynicism is, a, is an artifice. It's a thing created by us to yes, arm us. It's an armour. It's, it's a kind of armour against yeah. the, the vulnerability of, yeah. of people. Um, Tony, you're a psychologist. Yes. Could you just very briefly, without being too technical about it, could yeah, you yeah, tell sure. my listeners maybe the difference between what you do, the psychology and psychiatry, or if there is any difference? Um. Okay, the joking version is uh, psychiatry tells you what's wrong with you and psychology makes you feel like who you are. Um, The the more technical uh, explanation would be that psychiatry is an extension of medicine. So people are first of all trained as medical doctors. They, you know, and they could go into any number of specialties, but they chose psychiatry. And so psychiatry is is primarily medical. Um, And so I suppose the lens that psychiatry brings to mental suffering is a lens of medicine, which is, you know, diagnosis, medication. Okay, the lens that psychology brings is different. It's more a developmental lens. It's more psychology doesn't ask what's wrong with you. It it asks what happened to you. It looks at your life story and it begins to see where things might be unresolved from the past that you're still carrying and that are niggling at you. Or they may see that there are toxic relationships in your life in the present, maybe in your family, maybe in your work, maybe in your school, maybe in your community, and that these are oppressive and they're really wearing you down. And so psychology is trying to make sense of why people feel the way they do. Um, psychiatry is trying to help people feel better um, and, and, and y- you know, there's scope for both. OK. Yeah. And to get to the next, to, to follow on from that, before we came on air, you and I were talking about how both of us had coincidentally read this book, We Don't Know Ourselves by Fintan yeah, O'Toole. Yeah, yeah. And of course, this Fintan's book, which is on my podcast, if listeners want to listen back to the episode with Fintan O'Toole, is about seeing Irish political history through the lens of his own life. Yes. So he was born in Crumlin and that's when, of course, the first one of the first big suburbs in Ireland was created where we had proper three bedroom houses with indoor toilets and all that sort of stuff. And that's where he starts his life. And he takes it up to the modern day through Charlie Hawhey and all this sort of stuff and, and, and all this. And you have done something similar. You have written a book about psychology, but from your own experience. You are a psychologist and you have written a, this book called Breaking the Heart Open. And it is about your own journey. Yes. Your yes. own journey through your own mental difficulties. Yes. And this is, of course, a very, this is a, an extraordinary thing that you decided to do. I want you to tell me why you did it. Okay. And then to tell us what happened to you. I think I wanted, like Fint and I, I found that book wonderful and it, it, it 
was retrospectively an inspiration, if that's possible. But I realised when I saw it that, that, <laughs> that, that that's, and I bought it instantly, it came out, I, that, that's what I'm trying to do. In other words, I'm trying to tell a story about something much bigger than me and much more important than me, which is the story about how we think about and how we respond to mental health issues in our society. Um, and that has changed over 45 years since I started and I'm a bit worried about that, OK? But we can come back to that. So I wanted to say, in effect, you know, we don't really know what's happening to us when we when we suffer mentally and emotionally. And, and I guess I want to make that statement in, 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 a, in a critical way to the whole mental health industry and, and our whole mental health service system. Um, but that just sounded, you know, kind of very pompous or something, you know. So I I think I started with myself because I do think um, it is really uh, important. I think it's easier to move from the personal to the universal or from, you know, to start with me as a person and then and I want, I, you know, Finton started in Crumlin. I started in a fever hospital in Cork at three. Mm-hmm. And that's where my real birthplace happened. And I was very messed up by that experience. And I really struggled for years. And then other things happened and so on, so on. So I had um, a head start in psychology. I had lots to work on, lots of life blessed me with lots of mental health issues. And, and I really, you know, I learned to know, I mean, I... You know, I think maybe most psychologists, they only go into it because their inner life is, is a niche that they have to scratch. You know, they just, it's just, it's all the time calling for some attention. And mine certainly was. So I I had to struggle a lot of my own issues and, and, and did it very badly and did it often without support and made, you know. But that's fine, because then I came into psychology and I found myself on strangely familiar ground. I found the books, the literature, wonderful. These people, Freud, and they're like, they seem to get me, you know. They were talking about me. Up to then I'd read Franz Kafka and Nietzsche, you know, and, and Hermann Hesse, and they were talking about me, but that was very literary and distant, and I was trying to make that into something important. No, but these guys were just talking about people who hurt. And then I met the so-called patients, you know, the people I was sent to serve. And then I said, oh, my goodness, they are, they, they are me. I mean, they, 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 I could see myself in them. And while maintaining a good professional boundary and all the rest of it, I was a person with them as a person. And, and I think that's been lost a little bit in, in our mental health services that we're first of all people and then psychologists or then psychiatrists or then nurses or then OTs. And so I found myself really at home with people who had very deep, troubled uh, experiences, psychosis, you know, very, very deep depression. But always they struck me as ordinary people. I didn't see them as mad or different. And the more I listened to their experience and the more I got to know them, the more their symptoms made sense. You know, people even in psychosis and schizophrenia, they're people who fundamentally are terribly sensitive and who get overwhelmed by anxiety. And so they withdraw into a, a crazy world where they get trapped and they can't get back out. And, and and that's a problem, and they they need some help, but basically it it, it was, you know, it, the the notion that they had something wrong with them that made them different to me, it was never something that sat easily with me. But that was very much the 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 the, the paradigm. You know, these people are sick because they have a disease entity which is making them feel this way, and for me there were people who had experiences, who tried to cope with them um, in depression, sometimes by just shutting down everything because life was too painful. So the best way to control that is just to oh, shut off my feelings, you know, get really and and repress things. And, and when we could, you know, I mean, sometimes you just had to get them out of bed and get them on their feet and get them moving and do very practical things. You don't always go digging. Yeah, that's not always appropriate. But when we got to know, when I got to know them and they could talk about their lives, yeah, things began to fall into place just like they did for me. So 
the people I worked with really helped me to see my own life as something that made sense as I began to discover them and, and, and as I began to discover just how much sense my own symptoms, you know, were and, and, and my just all my emotions and, and struggles were. As, I be, as they began to make more sense to me, I obviously began to be able to relate to other people in a, in a, and, and make sense with them of theirs. So the whole thing was, you know, they shaped me, I shaped them. And it was it was a, a journey, a, a kind of an, an adventure together. And I saw, I suppose I've seen thousands of people over 45 years. You, you tend to, but, but I can remember so many of them so vividly and... I didn't always get it right. I made mistakes. I, you know, I probably hurt people. In not, I didn't do anything awfully wrong. But just I probably missed people, or I, you know, most of the mistakes I made were during the time when I came back. I came back from the states in the nineties. I'd been trained by one the the founder of cognitive therapy, Aaron Beck, and you know, I was super duper um, uh, legend because I had this training from the master, and I I set up a masters and. Psychotherapy, and and I I I thought I knew a lot, you know, and and if I made mistakes, I think it was in at that time, because I thought I could fix you, you know, uh, and if you had a phobia, bang, we I was I could get sort that phobia out. If you were depressed, I knew exactly how to turn the tables, and you know, I was. You know, the, 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 there's a kind of arrogance that flicks any professional in the early days probably but I had to get that bubble burst that I had to let go of that I had to kind of come into and so now I, I, I it's like in some ways you know what's changed I think in 45 years is I'm far more comfortable knowing that if I meet you and you're depressed you're the first depressed person I've ever met it doesn't matter that I've met a hundred others I've never met you depressed and so I have to start over and, you know, that what Buddhism calls the beginner's mind, yeah. that bringing that freshness to a conversation uh, is the most important thing in, in, in mental health, is that people don't. Uh, I had one woman talk to me the other day and she said, you know, I walked into a certain psychiatrist and he said very quickly, said, oh, you've been bipolar all your life. That's your problem. You've been bipolar all your life. And he didn't, you know, he, he just... Um, and she said, well, I've, I, she'd read about it. And she said, I, I've read and it's not one or two. And she said, no, there's another kind that I've kind of discovered. And it's, it, you have that. And that was, that was her sorted. Um, now, I, I, the, the, there's both an arrogance in that and, and, and a certain efficiency. People, some people like that because they get a quick diagnosis and they know what's wrong and they get on the tablets and everything is fine. Um, but it, it, it doesn't work for majority of people. It, 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 most people need to be heard. They need to be seen. You know, they, they you know, I, I, I can feel your listening and your attention, Mario. And, you know, people, that's a very highly developed human capacity. You, you don't, it's not, it sounds easy to listen to people. It takes a lot of work to actually learn to listen. And in, in our business, it takes supervision, training, getting your knuckles wrapped because you didn't do it very well. And, you know, having sessions taped and people saying, well, you missed what he was trying to say, you know. And I, I think I've learned that. And now I'm much more comfortable not knowing what's going on yeah. with you and really interested to find out. Yeah. Really committed to finding out, but not playing the expert. Yeah. So in other words, yeah. so to summarise that, maybe part of your, your experience or your method was to kind of eschew the traditional method of kind of a patriarchal yeah. uh, situation where yeah. a guy or a woman tells you what's wrong with you and talks down to you. Yeah. Um, and to take a more fraternal um, friend kinship um, based uh, human approach kinship based human uh, that we you just listen as friends yeah I'm, I'm, I'm walking the land and I'm, I'm not trying to be your friend I, I mean because you know it's like we're, we're walking the mountain and we bump into each other and we walk a certain part of that journey together yeah. and and I'm privileged to be with you and we have a really wonderful talk and then I go my way and you go your way I don't want to yeah. you know we're not going to email each other for the rest of our lives or FaceTime yeah. each other. But you mentioned <laughs> um, a very interesting thing there about yeah. listening and I noticed that the, the graph um, in my listening um, I, when I was younger I did no listening I just did yeah. all talking yeah. all shouting 
all me, 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 all just like as many hours. I need to fill the many hours in the day with my voice as possible. You should have been in the mental health system. You would have filled it in fine. <laughs> and then I find that as I get older, yeah, yeah. I find myself, yeah. thankfully, learning yeah. to listen more. Yeah. And every year I listen a bit more and every year I listen a bit more. And even the area I'm in, entertainment and acting, if you, if you, if you ever hear some wisdom from the great actors, I remember yeah. Michael Parkinson acting, uh, um, asking a great yeah, actor. Yeah. So, 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 you know, I mean, you know, I mean, this, you know, Hollywood. How do you, you know, yeah. how do you, you know, somehow, when you, when you're there on, 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 on set, you know, cameras rolling, <laughs> yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you, how do you, do you do it? Yeah. And they went, you just listen to what the person next to you says, and you react. Mm. And that is basically listening, because nowadays there's hardly any listening going on. And people are hearing what they want to hear, Fair, yes. but they're not truly listening. Yeah. And that's emblematic in Twitter and social media and everything. Yeah. People are taking what they want to hear or see out of it, but yes. they're not actually really listening. They're yeah. using it as, as a kind of a, a thing that they can forward their own slogans yeah. through. Yeah. yeah. They, they, tit, they, 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 they magpie bits, yeah. but they're not listening and they don't want to listen. And that's yeah. a real problem. I mean, the whole world needs cognitive behavioural well, therapy I, I think, at the moment. I think our mental health system needs to listen more. Um, you know, they, they, they've, they've done some, I mean, over the last 50 years, they, they, they found that, you know, the, the most protective thing for our mental health is that we have a relationship with ourselves where we can check in and we can actually, uh, I, I can know what I'm feeling. It sounds like a very simple thing, but to be able to reflect and think about what I'm feeling is an amazing skill um, and in the same time as I can do that I can also pick up what you're feeling now that idea to connect with myself to connect with you it's called mentalization or what Abba called knowing me knowing you <laughs> um, it, it's 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 Very found to be the most protective thing in our mental health okay it doesn't matter if you're feeling good or bad that, that's nothing to do with mental health what matters is that you know what you're feeling and you can be with that um, and that how does that happen it comes in childhood through being heard being seen being valued being made feel safe That that's how in other words people need to be understood that's like psychology in one sentence people we all need to be understood and when we're understood we make sense to ourselves. Mm. We develop a relationship with ourselves. And we find a place on the planet. And I can talk to you. Yeah, we find a place on the planet. When they asked the survivors of mental health, uh, you, you know, services, um, many of them, as many res- surveys, uh, what has been, what was helpful to you, what was not helpful to you. In all cases, what was helpful is being heard, being seen, being valued and feeling safe. It's the same thing that children needed a need when to develop a sense of themselves to come into their own person um, that's what is needed that's the science is telling us that's what's needed that's not what happens for many people it's extraordinary the number of people who leave hospitals or services without ever feeling like they've been heard and that's happening every day now not just in the past and I, I, I just think it's, it's very sad because I think that, you know, when people go to someone and they're very vulnerable and they turn for help, they're, they're really vulnerable. And what is said to them makes an enormous impact, you know. And if somebody is not listening to them, well, you're, okay, you have bipolar, you have this, and that's what's causing your problems. I can treat it and we have prescription. Bye-bye. Well, Tony, yeah. listening is mm. an empathic uh, function. Yeah. yeah. Listening it, it is an is. empathetic function. Yes, so yes. to listen is to be empathetic. Yes. To preach and tell is to be egomaniacal Ego. and arrogant and Ar- self. Patriarchal, as you and say. To be yeah. s- and self. Yeah. If I'm telling you, s- what you have is this, what you have yeah, is that, yeah, that's, yeah. Me pret- yeah, um, yeah. that's me establishing and, and putting down my ego. Yeah. To listen is to be empathetic, which is yeah. surely the whole basis of the thing. i tell you a funny story. I, 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 this is, it's right on this point, but it's, 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 I think it's a great story. It's, it's, I worked with Tony Clare for 10 years, mm. and this is my best Tony Clare story. Yeah. And it's one that's never told. They wrote a book about him. I didn't think it was very good. But anyway, <laughs> I, I think that, but so I send an in-law too. He was having trouble, early 20s. He was drinking too much, marriage not going well. He needed help. I sent him to Tony Clare because I worked with Tony and I, he was out in Edmondsbury. So the guy goes out to Tony Clare and he, he's with him for about an hour. And I met him the next day. And I said, how did it go? He said, he was terrible. He was terrible. He said, 
I had to do all the talking. <laughs> he did nothing. <laughs> no, I just, I thought it was the most wonderful compliment for Tony Clare that, that, that he did nothing. You know, he he listened. He was present. Um, and this guy's doing fine, by the way, now. You know, and uh, but he didn't. He wanted. He yeah. thought. He expected to be told, "This is what's wrong with you. This is what you need yes. to do. Go out and do it, and you'll be fine." He, he didn't get that. He got a guy who listened. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, mm. We we often lay people, normal people, just lay people like myself. Yeah. Outside of your profession, I mean, we still regard things like mental health mental illness, um, um, madness, uh, schizophrenia, psychosis. We regard that as being you're either you're that and then there are people who are walking down the street and they're getting the 7A bus and they're grand. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I suppose even I as a layperson could garner that mental health is and mental illness is off, often a process that happens after trauma of some yes. kind. yes. And the act of being born is very, very traumatic. Yes. <laughs> so surely yeah. 100% of us, yes. 8 billion people, yeah. have some form of trauma or another. Yes. And we are all exposed to different traumas in yes. our lives. Yes. Some physical, some emotional, some mental, some not being understood, some yes. not being ever yeah. heard. Yeah. And so is it not right to suggest that all of us are on a spectrum of mental illness in some way? I think so. I think that it is a spectrum. Now, that's not to deny that some people can get stuck at the dark end of the spectrum and they can get because they're trying to cope with a lot of pain or trauma, the after effects, they, they go into addiction and they get locked yeah. into addiction. And uh, exacerbates. The- yeah. Or they, or, they, or they go into kind of defensiveness and they become bitter and, and tight and blocked and, and very hard to access. Um self-righteous all those things mm. people 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 get stuck uh, uh, James Baldwin said you know uh, people can become stuck in history and history can become stuck in them yes. you know that that they, we, we, we sort of locked in. We're locked in and we don't grow mm. and I think what I wanted in this book was to write a story about mental health and mental ill health I don't call it mental illness but I except once I quote somebody who says that word but I, not because that's I understand that's what we call it but I just see them as very severe human struggles mm. um, and what people don't realise is that even and I talk particularly about psychosis and schizophrenia but people who suffered from those things and they're my favourite chapters because in a way, I found most uh, success, I suppose, working with those are, but they were miracles. I mean, they're, they're, they're little, extra, you know, the way people can come out of craziness into being human. And what people don't realise is when they go into hospital, somebody could be hallucinating, their bananas falling out of trees and they're all aimed at them, and whatever. But they have some medication, they feel safe. And medication can be very important and helpful. They, within a week of this stuff, they're talking like you and me. Mm-hmm. That's what people don't see, is that, you know, most people in mental hospitals are not mad at all. They're extraordinarily ordinary people who are struggling with pain, maybe, but can talk like you and me now. Mm-hmm. And, and and so that's why I, I never, you know, I, I, I never saw them as other than me, you know. But, but, but yes, they get trapped and they get stuck and they need very skillful help to unstick themselves, to unsnag their emotional yes. lives. Um, and that's where really good therapy is important. It's not just listening, although not to diminish that in any way, but there's also a skill in being able to f- navigate with someone a kind of a path out of darkness if that's where they're stuck. Um, and and I think that's, I love psychology because it, it gives people maps. It doesn't tell them this is how you're going to get there. It, it gives them general maps, but they're, they're not, they're geological maps. They're not geography, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's uh, and it. And so it gives you a comfort in being able to navigate some very tricky terrain where people get lost. And and that's psychotherapy, and that's really important. Mm. Uh, and, and, and we have a wealth of insight about that territory. 
Um, you, it's interesting the way you say there's no, you're not telling people where to go. Yeah. Because um, I write sketches and you can attempt to write yeah. a sketch in a various uh, state of uh, emotional um, well-being um, yeah. at any given day. Uh, but one thing I've learned over the years is that it helps if you want to write something or write a sketch or write something creative to understand that there's no right or wrong. There's no mathematical answer in this. What you've got to do is get into the flow, unsnag yourself and just yeah. let yourself write. Yeah. And trust that what you will write will be yeah. right. So yeah. in other words, they say, somebody, somebody said, how did you write that sketch? I don't know. I just wrote it. I had a basic idea. Yeah. And then I just went to the end. You channeled it. I channeled it. But yeah. there could have been a million yeah. different ways to million. write that sketch. Yeah. And yeah. all of them would have been fine. Yeah. None of them was better than the others. Yeah. I just ended up there. So so that was a, an example of not not necessarily pointing myself in the right direction or yeah. any direction, just going somewhere. In other words, and, unsnagging. You know, and, 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 and a lot of therapy is, 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 is doing that with somebody. So in other words, if, I, if I've decided now we're going to talk about your mum and then we're going to talk about your job and then we're going to talk about, you know, um, how you need to get X and Y finish that paper you're doing. You know, if I, if I have this plan in my head before I meet you, well, you know, it can, be, it, can, it can be useful. But if I hang on to that tightly, it doesn't work. But if I meet you and I'm open to where you want to go, you may take me somewhere, you know. So, so one of the most famous psychoanalyst Wilfred Bion he was a British psychoanalyst he was a tank commander in World War One, and he saw all this shell shock and all these guys traumatised so he went off and studied medicine psychiatry and then he set up Northfield Hospital which was a place for soldiers in World War Two who would be sent with trauma and he was to fix them and he his hospital was amazing and they all worked in the garden they cooked meals together they all you know they had group therapy but he was without doubt one of the most powerful psychoanalysts but he said to listen you you have to listen without memory or desire you've got to be there and you've got to go with somebody and he had that beautiful capacity to flow and to see where that took you and you had to pay attention you're not just we're smoking weed and we're just going to no no it's it's not it's it's a very attentive thing you know but he he I, I think what I found what I always say is people in crisis people in pain and people you know the next time you meet somebody who's in pain or just having a really rough time try being present and doing nothing and trust that they may need to sit with their pain a little bit and that the knowing of what's going on with them will come to both of you. It does, it's not there in the beginning. But that people at the edge of pain, you know, when you work with them, they say something amazing like, I think I really need to tell you something or I think I need to be more assertive at work. I think I need to stop being nice to people because I'm really... And that would never have been in my head because I wanted to talk about your ma, your job and the your, your unfinished business and suddenly you get you know I need to stop being nice wow that feels good and you feel they feel their power and they feel their strength and then you can say so if you're, you're going out there to be not nice so tell me something you might do this week that's not being nice and they tell you well you know what I'm going to finish those two papers because I'm fed up thinking about them right <laughs> you know and and it, it's 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 a kind of an art it isn't but it is about being willing to step into the flow. And I did an improv course, you know, um, it didn't come now. I wasn't an actor. Either. I did an improv course. And I mean, I was trying to rehearse, you know, my comedy sketch or whatever I had to do. Um, Wrong idea. Oh, you it weren't was, in the moment. I was not in the moment. It was excruciating. I wasn't a bit funny. And then the second day or third day of it, I mean, it was Sunday morning. Um, I remember she said, I want you to stand up and you know, I want you to pretend you're a petrol pump attendant. And I, uh, at this stage, I was losing hope, you know. So I took up the petrol, you know, and I was standing there and I just started to go with the petrol and everybody was laughing. It, it was something terribly funny happened yeah. in the moment because I was just in that moment <laughs> and flowing. And, yeah. and, and it is, uh, it's a beautiful experience when you get in. I'm sure musicians have the same experience, but it, it's, it, to be in the flow of anything, it but is. but to be with somebody in the flow of discovery and making sense yeah. of what has been totally 
unspeakable or un, you know it mm. it is it's well, what you what you're talking about is very very closely related to the creative sphere yes I mean, yeah. um, I'll give you an anecdote. I mean, uh, yeah. from the Rolling Stones, one of the, the most celebrated bands of ever. And yeah. Keith Richards and, and, and people asking him, Keith, you know, the age old question, how do you write the songs? Yeah. And for a person who's consumed so much hallucinogenic um, and barbiturates and everything. Yeah. Of course, the, the perfect answer comes and he went, man, I don't, you know, I don't write the songs, man. <laughs> yeah. Man, the songs are just there. <laughs> yeah. And I... Just wait for them to come. Yeah, just, yeah. I pluck them out of the ether, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And so what you've got to do is you've got to get yourself into a place yeah. where you're just waiting yeah. for them and you pluck them down yes. and they appear. Yes. So really what it is was, with him, it's just, yeah. it's, it's tuning in. Tuning in. Channeling, listening, isn't it? It's just listening, in. tuning in, and then suddenly it comes. Mm, yeah. No, it's a miracle. I think And you didn't make it. Yeah. It came to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And I, so, like your example, that the answer came to the person during a period yeah. of, of of stillness with another person. Yeah, I... Is that right? Exactly. I I, I had a... I talk about a, a, quite a breakdown at, at 19, and I, I had been in a big religious phase. I was standing on a column bridge telling people about Jesus, and they had to invite... Jesus into their life to save them because I really believed if they didn't they'd go to hell and it was my duty to warn them and say well you know and, and I got beaten up and my lips split open and you know some skinhead with the barber boots didn't really appreciate being preached to I don't know why but anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then after a while it, it was it, you know it was a very important time in my life it, 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 I, I even wrote it it was cringe inducing to write it I, I was in first medicine I got I was almost in 20 I got the entire class together to tell them all to write Jesus into their life and I was yeah. giving a talk recently and a guy came to me and said I, I, you, I was in your class I remember that day and I didn't I hadn't told him but, so then I realised yeah uh, but I it's easy to, 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 to be very abusive of, or to be very um, cynical about that but actually it was me trying to hang on to something I was falling apart and then I realised shit this is all something I'm making up. God, there is no God. It's me making this up to try and make myself feel better. And then I had nothing, you know. And I walked out and got onto a St. Kevin's bus, Stephen's Green, and I had a big coat. I had no money. I had a bus, for, bus fare I must have had. And no food, nothing. It was February. And I went down to Glendalough. I broke into an old clubhouse through the... There was a window, you know, I have to call those things, on the roof, you know, and I I got, I let myself down and in darkness. I was terrified and uh, I spent two nights there, uh, you know, three days, two nights. And on the third day, I mean, I was pretty low. That was as close as I ever came to a a kind of suicidal gesture, you know, because even though it wasn't overtly self-harming I was I'd given up everything and I didn't care what happened to me and I'd neglectful of my physical health and safety were you, Would you have said you were clinically depressed at this time? Oh yes, yes. I, I, I would have definitely qualified <laughs> um, probably a few other things too but anyway I certainly <laughs> Now I, on, tell us about a few other things Well there was a way in which I'd kind of slipped into a kind of psychosis it was despair but I really didn't have any contact with reality Did you not? No, I, I mean, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was enough contact to be terrified. How which, did the psychosis manifest itself? Well, I, I mean it in the sense that I had withdrawn from everything and I wasn't functioning very well. I was, I mean, I should have been at class. I should have been studying I mean, I, and I wasn't able to do that. And I'd kind of, you know, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that even then on the third day, <laughs> I know, um, the, 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 the rock folded back from my unconscious and I realised something which was, for me, a saving truth. And I realised, lo and behold, my fascinating insight, my epiphany in that moment of despair was that I needed people. Mm. I needed people. I needed people and that was okay. And suddenly I kind of came back into myself, in my body, and I began to feel, I need people. 
and it's it's okay if there's no God and if my girlfriend thinks I'm crazy and, and I can't manage studies and I'm not sleeping I need people and I got out I got on the road I looked like I don't want to look like and then these this car stopped and gave me a lift back to Dublin I went into um my my friend Carl who was in the AIB at the end of Grafton Street and I he bought me lunch he was very very good and then at, he said to me what are you going to do now and you know in that moment I pointed to what was then Irish Permanent at the end of Grafton Street we turned around winded around to Nassau Street there was an Irish Permanent I said I am going to get that building I'm going to take that building and I'm going to create a space where young people like me who are confused and upset where they can go and they can talk and they can get help. I didn't even have the language psychotherapy then. Um, and uh, I said and I, and they can go in for free and they can listen to music and they can listen to the lyrics and they can figure out what's going on with them and they can feel better because we all need people. You know, this is my... Say. Now he quoted this to me in 2006. So 34 years later I set up Jigsaw, which is effectively a place on the main street. There's one in Essex Street in Dublin, Dublin's Jigsaw, Dublin City, where young people can walk into and be listened to and be heard. They're not labelled and, and be, be supported. And, you know, it was interesting. I, in the worst moment of my life, I also had the vision that gave my life direction. Yeah, and, and, and I got the insight which was no big deal. It's not going to be on the front cover of any, you know. But it 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 pulled me together, it grounded me. I accepted I need people. And I, I just think, so I have great respect for people who reach these suicidal crises or they reach these moments of despair, you know, because I, I, I really encourage them to listen, to hold what's happening in awareness, to be, first of all, make them feel safe and feel steady enough to do that. But when they can think about what's happening, OK, what, 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 what is coming to you now? What's coming through this? And they pluck some insight, which is nothing less miraculous than Keith Richards plucking a song. You know. My thanks to Tony Bates uh, for coming in and talking to me. That's the first part of our fascinating conversation, or at least I think it's fascinating. Um, the second part is next week. Um, thanks to you for listening. Get in touch if you want. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on the Gmail, mariorosenstock at gmail.com, as I said earlier. Thanks for listening. Take care and bye.